0: Welcome back to Refocus with Lindsay Gensel, a podcast collaboration between me, Lindsay Gensel, and ADHD Online, a telemedicine healthcare leader offering affordable and accessible ADHD assessments, medication management, and teletherapy. This is episode seven, and in it, we're looking at telemedicine and the role it plays in diagnosing and treating ADHD. If this is your first time joining us here on Refocused, welcome. Thank you for listening and joining along. My name is Lindsay Gensel. I'm your host and I have ADHD. I was diagnosed a year and a half ago, just two months shy of my 35th birthday, and it explained so much. It was like receiving a manual for my brain, you know, something that had been lost in the mail or stuck away in a box somewhere. For the last 15 years, I've been working in journalism, everything from television to radio to print, and now I get to explore the lovely world of podcasting thanks to the support from ADHD Online. Right now, I'm a mostly one-woman team. I send out some research when I'm at capacity, but everything you hear on these episodes, the interviews, the editing, the production, that's all me, and most of it happens in the basement of my house. (laughs) That's why it would mean so much to me if you could take a minute and rate, review, and subscribe to Refocus with Lindsay Gensel wherever you're listening now. You might not think those things matter, but there is a reason why every podcast you listen to has messaging asking you to do it. And you can follow along on social media. I'm on Twitter and Instagram, at Lindsay Gensel and at RefocusPod. And if you would like to see what happens when an ADHD brain starts a website, you can head over to lindsaygensel.com. So how did we get here to a place in time where a healthcare company runs its entire operation online to connect with patients across the country? Well, we have to go back a bit. If you're like me and you thought telemedicine was a new concept, I am here to tell you that I was wrong. In April of 1924, an edition of Radio News Magazine, a monthly technology magazine that was published from 1919 to 1971, shared what the future of medicine could look like. Under the headline, The Radio Doctor Maybe, the cover depicted a young boy sitting on the edge of his bed, having his throat examined by a doctor who was miles away working in his clinic. The examination was taking place through what appears to be video. There's a small screen sitting in the middle of this large contraption. It reminds me of something the man behind the curtain from The Wizard of Oz would have invented. It's full of dials and frequency meters. That magazine cover came out 24 years before the first transmission of radiologic images by telephone. They traveled a distance of 24 miles between Westchester and Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Now, these early transmissions started in 1948, and they inspired the work of Canadian radiologists at a Montreal hospital who then created their own telemedicine system for radiology in the 1950s. Then in 1959, clinicians at the University of Nebraska started using two-way interactive television to transmit information across campus to medical students. These early developments in telemedicine even led to the exploration of using these systems for group therapy consultations, and the university even established a telemedicine link with the state hospital more than 100 miles away from campus in 1964. These are just some of the earliest documentations of telemedicine in use, and we can count NASA and the United States military as two of the early adopters for telemedicine use as well, and that makes total sense once you hear it. In order to provide treatment to people who are in hard-to-reach places, you have to be able to get medical professionals into those places without them actually being there. Of course, we wouldn't look at the necessity of telemedicine the way we do today if the COVID-19 pandemic hadn't happened. Suddenly, many of us were in lockdowns and healthcare providers were putting restrictions on who and what was allowed to be seen in person. And so many of us were forced to give telemedicine a try. I think my first virtual appointment was actually with a dermatologist who examined some moles as I held my computer as close to my face as possible. According to a report released last year by the American Psychiatric Association, 43% of adults want to keep using telehealth services even after the pandemic necessity comes to an end, and 34% would prefer using telehealth to an in-person office visit. And the great news is those using telemedicine are finding it to be helpful. Another report from the Cleveland Clinic showed 82% of patients found their virtual visit to be as good as an in-person visit. 91% said their virtual visit made it easy to get the care they needed, and 93% said they found the technology easy to use. Joining me to answer all of the questions about telemedicine and the role it plays in diagnosing and treating ADHD is Dr. Rafia Mohammed, the Clinical Division Chief and the Interim Chief Medical Officer for ADHD Online. We'll get to our conversation right after sharing a little bit more on the latest free webinar happening this week over at ADHDonline.com. sure I'm not alone in this. I always have a million projects going on in my house. I have a really hard time finishing them because like a lot of people with ADHD, I get very excited to start and then there's that middle ground and I just kind of lose steam. But summer is a time where I think we feel like we have more time. I'm not sure why that is maybe because our schedules are a little lighter. There's less things going on at night. And so it feels like a great time to dive into projects. And I'm going to bring the Vice President of Marketing for ADHD Online, Keith Boswell, into the conversation because on Wednesday, June 29th, there is a webinar with Lisa Woodruff and she is the brain behind Organize 365. And this webinar specifically, Boz, it's the third in a series that you guys have been doing over the last couple of months. Can you tell me a little bit about the series itself?
1: So the series has been about the state of housework in the current world. It's been a fascinating look. Lisa's produced original research that's academic, uh, very deep, and goes into really what makes up housework. And in this last webinar, we're, we're saving the, the mountains that all of us dread of paper, Uh, And tackling those piles of paper. And so finishing out with, I think, the thing that just, for all of us, piles up every day.
0: It is kind of bizarre how quickly paper piles up, considering we are a very digital, friendly society right now.
1: It's just unbelievable the amount of messaging we receive, things we're expected to keep track of. And I know in our house of an ADHD household we're really adept at moving paper piles around but not very good at finishing them so
0: oh my gosh i'm laughing because my boyfriend is he does not have ADHD and he's very organized and very thorough And for the most part, very patient with his very ADHD girlfriend, but he bought us these baskets. So it was essentially like when you walk in the house and you get the mail, you come to the basket and Lindsay's basket, you put her mail in there and then there's John's basket and you put his mail in there. And my basket quickly became just... A mess, and I think he actually came up one day and was like, "Are you even using this? Like, can I just have it back?" And I was like, "I mean, yeah, you can have it back. I, I have a, I have a box, like a Tupperware container that is labeled important documents, and that is everything from pictures to vet documents for our pets to tax information. And John has a filing cabinet. You know, like we're very different."
1: We have a filing cabinet. I just, everything exists in that bin like you just described. I mean, we have the the very important, you know, the receipt bin that we carry around that you've shuffled through when you've got to do returns. I mean, it's just, it is kind of unbelievable. And you would think, like you said, in an age where so much of what we're doing is digital, this would be easier to manage, but it doesn't seem to be.
0: What I love about the webinars is you have them live so people can join, they can ask questions, they can engage with the host and with you. And so there really is this like immediate feedback. But if you can't make it, they are always available online for you to listen to whenever you want. And I think that that is something that is so crucial and important for the ADHD brain because that time that you might get motivated could be... 4 a.m. when you can't sleep and you're sitting there going, well, what am I going to do?
1: That's true. And, you know, I, I can't think of a webinar we've held this year where someone didn't ask, will this be posted afterwards, either because they want to share it, they joined late, uh, whatever reason. And that is exactly why we do it, because we recognize like we're putting this out there and we're we're doing it. You know, we're always trying to find the best times to reach the most people, but you know we really do it as part of our commitment to growing this community's understanding of ADHD our own understanding you know i always feel lucky i get to learn uh, alongside our patients i'm um, kind of on the front line with them so it's it's fascinating and this space and where we're at at this moment in time it's very unique and you know even us coming together and finding the way to create a podcast together. A few years ago, I can't really imagine this scenario just happening as easily as it did. And yet it did. And I think that's a testament to what we're doing and what we're trying to do of saying, hey, we don't know everything. We want to put this out there for for feedback. We want people's opinions because there's a lot of skepticism about treating ADHD with telehealth. I mean, Chad and the other major um, players in the space are kind of taking a sideline stance right now and have yet to really make a public statement. And for those of us that are in it day to day, that silence sometimes feels deafening because we're practicing. Our patients are asking us, are your services still going to be available? And so we're looking at, you know, as the telehealth restrictions might come back and people need to go to in-person visits, we're all for that, right? That's only going to help people have better health care. We're not trying to replace anything. We're just trying to make these things available to people that don't have it otherwise.
0: Don't forget to sign up for Lisa Woodruff's Learn How to Organize Your Home webinar this Wednesday, June 29th at 3 p.m. Eastern by heading over to adhdonline.com backslash webinars. Now onto my chat with Dr. Rafia Muhammad. Since this is your first time on the podcast, I do start by asking everyone to introduce themselves to the
2: audience. My name is Dr. Rafia Muhammad. I am the Clinical Division Chief and the Interim Chief Medical Officer at ADHD Online.
0: I came into this topic thinking telemedicine was something that was very new, and obviously I found out that it is not a new concept. It's just something that is newer for mainstream America, meaning a lot of us didn't partake in anything telemedicine-related until the pandemic started. So tell me a little bit about life in telemedicine before the pandemic and then where we are right now.
2: Yeah, of course. I think prior to the pandemic, some practices were kind of using it a little bit. It wasn't integrated as much into the follow-up care or just how it is today. The pandemic sort of showed the world, like, you can't make it to your doctor's office. So what are you going to do? So at that point, I think it kind of pushed telemedicine telehealth into the main spotlight a lot of us couldn't make it to our to our doctor's offices there was this scare of you know will we get sick and all that stuff people just didn't feel comfortable even even if the doctor's office was open they, they, they just didn't feel comfortable going at the same time it was disrupting their schedule if they have kids or just family or just work routines and all that stuff so with telemedicine it kind of came in at this time where it's like they're able to sort of you know find the flexibility to sort of fit it into their schedule so i think we're all sort of seeing that this is here to stay because it works with our schedules a lot of our schedules aren't the same from what it was you know pre-pandemic and now most of us are probably working a lot more hours or different hours or our kids are either going to school or maybe a hybrid situation so The fact that we have to leave the comfort of our home to do things you're getting, it's just not, most people just don't want to do it anymore.
0: And how does it fit in with ADHD? Because I know from my experience, even before I was diagnosed, sometimes getting places and giving myself enough time to get there or fitting it into a schedule and just trying to juggle too many things at once, it was overwhelming. And So now we look at a way for people who struggle with executive function, which includes getting to your appointment on time and keeping a schedule. I'm curious to know what you've seen with the patients you're working with now. How are they adapting to telemedicine?
2: Mm -hmm. I mean, this this is just, I think telemedicine is made for people who have ADHD because you can fit it into your schedule however you want to. It's very flexible. You don't have to Leave what you're doing to get to your doctor's appointment. Because I think for a lot of people, it's not the, you know, putting it into your calendar. Like I have work starts at eight o'clock. I have a doctor's appointment at 12. I may forget the traffic time to get there. I may forget, you know, to factor in all that stuff. So I may have to leave home like at 10 30 or something just to be able to make it in time for that appointment. So that just sounds exhausting to someone who has ADHD. It sounds like it's an impossible task with telemedicine, and especially at ADHD online, we are flexible. We, have, we, we are, in a sense, open 24 hours because we have some providers who like to see patients after hours, some on the weekends. So however your schedule is, however you can fit us in, and it's all online, so all they have to do is click onto the patient portal, and then they're there. So there's no getting ready and going somewhere. Once the visit is over, they can go back to what they were doing.
0: From the physician standpoint, what challenges has telemedicine presented? I mean, you have dove headfirst into it as a physician working with ADHD online. I mean, online is in the name of the company. It's a healthcare company that's run by tech. It's not a tech company that does healthcare. So I'm curious, what has come up for you? What have been some of the struggles? What have you had to learn and adjust to?
2: From a medical standpoint, you know, there are some things you have to be seen in person for. There are some things, you know, that a tele-environment is just just not conducive to, you know, if you have multiple um, mental health conditions, if you're on certain medications that can kind of interact, or, you know, if you need a clearance because you have a pre-existing condition or something like that. So these sort of things, I think there are limitations, and in the telemedicine world especially as you said ADHD online like our online is in our name so people expect to be seen online and so sometimes telling those patients like I'm sorry you know it's not safe for us to continue on this platform you would have to go see a provider and person I think that's what I found challenging just because it's the expectation you have to kind of deal with the patients you know and, and if at the end if you're coming in from a very you know Best practice guidelines. Like, this is the safest approach, you know? And patients understand that. But I think for some patients, it's like, oh my God, finally I can be seen, or finally I have a chance. But then I come back with, like, well, you know, on this platform, because I could never really examine you or, you know, set the scope or hands on you, uh, you would have to be seen in person. So that's probably the most challenging.
0: And how has it been building relationships with your patients through telemedicine?
2: I love this question. You know, At first, it sounds like it'll be hard because you're like, oh, it's all online. Like, I can't see them. They can't see me. We can't have that sort of normal interaction, you would have a doctor's office. But I think it deepens the connection. It's a very strong connection because patients are bringing you into their private space, into their living room or bedroom. Or, you know, I've had moms come in with like kids running around like Elsa and Spider-Man in the back. And the mom's like, you see this, this is what I have to deal with. Or I have, you know, some parents tell me, they're like, well, do you know how messy my kid's room is? Let me, let me show you what it's like. So I feel like it creates a different environment. That's something that I would not be able to experience in a brick and mortar sort of a setting. At the same time, you are able to see the patient in their family environment. So at ADHD online, we also see kids and it's very interesting to see the parent and kid interaction. Some parents have ADHD, their kid has ADHD, and it's Interesting to see, you know, how that sort of connection happens because as I'm asking the child questions, the parent will be like, Well, I have the same thing because I can't even do that. So, how can my kid do that? You know, so it's sort of nice to see that dynamic. Again, it's not something that I would be able to experience in a brick and mortar.
0: You bring up a really amazing point. So, I've seen two therapists in my adult life, and the first I saw in person before the pandemic. And I'll say it kind of took us a while to develop a relationship. You're in front of somebody and you you can't avoid them. You know, it's kind of hard when the person is sitting right there in front of you and it's that awkward quiet. Like you have nothing to say and you're kind of waiting. It's kind of like the feelings you get on a first date when you're just like not quite sure what we're doing here. And I should say, just in case she listens to this, we did develop an amazing relationship. We just had a great working therapy relationship. And then, of course, my insurance changed right before the pandemic. But I was able to find somebody who I started seeing virtually. And I have seen her a few times in person. But I have found that the ability to see her virtually, our therapy sessions have kind of morphed a little bit, you know? I've definitely done the traditional model where I just sit and we talk and I do nothing. But lately, I've started doing stuff, really only if I'm at home. You know, I'll go into my office and start organizing things or I'll be folding a basket of laundry or putting things away. I almost kind of set little goals for each of our sessions, like while we talk, I'm going to clean up this pile or I'm going to pick up all of the clothes that are not where they're supposed to be. And it's perfect for the ADHD brain. I'm speaking to her. We're having this conversation, but my hands are moving. I'm busy. And it's this weird feeling of like, okay, so I'm I'm at therapy. I'm doing that. I'm committed, but I'm also accomplishing something. And so I think for the ADHD brain, fitting in that moment of multitasking, which is something I think so many of us hyper focus on, it makes me feel more at ease with setting that time
2: aside. Right. Right. Because if you have ADHD, therapy helps, but at the same time, if you have to go to somebody in person to do it, you don't have a chance to do the never-ending list. So this way, you kind of get to do them both. So that's awesome.
0: We know telemedicine existed before the pandemic. It helped people living in rural areas. It was crucial in supporting American military members. But it wasn't until the pandemic started that we had to adjust quickly to make sure that Americans were getting the care they needed in a way that was safe. So, what has changed for telemedicine because of the pandemic?
2: Mm-hmm. So, from from a law standpoint, because of the pandemic, a lot of the rules on the federal rules to prescribe controlled substances, you know, across state lines, there was some laxity in that aspect, which just sort of made telemedicine more accessible. There are a lot of states also providing emergency licenses so that way providers could sort of increase patient volume and kind of increase their reach. I think most of those COVID licenses or the emergency licenses had sort of lapsed now. But it was interesting to see the country kind of come together to say, hey, we have our, you know, healthcare colleagues, boots on the ground working in the hospital, the ones the ones of the ones who aren't doing that, how can we help lessen that burden? From that standpoint, that's more on the, you know, state laws and everything. From a tech standpoint, I think a lot of the telemedicine groups were kind of pre-pandemic more towards urgent care models and just their services were very different. You know, during pandemic and post-pandemic, a lot of that has changed towards more direct to consumer. We want to be able to reach our patients. I think a lot of the groups want to be a source of education, a place where their patients can reach out and learn more at ADHD Online. We all have a very specialized knowledge in ADHD. We're also well versed in preventive care overall. So it's not like you're going to come to us and only get ADHD stuff or only kind of talk about, oh, depression or something like that. But if it is something else going on, like if a patient's like, well, I've been really tired and I, I don't know, extremely really fatigued. We will also ask, look, well, how's your thyroid? Maybe you need to go see your primary care to have a physical and kind of full, full, uh, full workup just to make sure there aren't other causes going on here you know so i think it's just sort of created this overall comprehensive approach
0: i mean i know from my own experience it is so much easier to look at a weekly appointment or even a twice a month appointment that is virtual and feel less pressure feel less overwhelmed then, if it were happening every single week and I had to drive somewhere and go somewhere and, and check in and do all of that. When I have my weekly therapy appointments, she always asks at the end if I want to schedule ahead more appointments. And I'm always like, oh yes, of course. And she goes, okay, well, I'll have someone call you. And it's so funny that that's in kind of the work order. For our sessions, because she knows that me being someone with ADHD, it's unlikely that I will actually even call and make the appointments. I mean, it just makes so much sense to take out as many obstacles as possible for a person who struggles with executive function. And that's one of the goals of ADHD Online providing care that works for people who have ADHD. What can patients expect after taking the assessment, and then how should they proceed?
2: So I would recommend, you know, once they've done the assessment through us, the assessment will kind of give you a detailed plan into the type of ADHD that you have and kind of, you know, different things that kind of make it up. Then on the patient portal, we have an option for teletherapy. There's an option for medical management.
0: Is it better for patients to start with medication management or teletherapy, or does it matter?
2: You don't necessarily have to pick med management first or therapy, but definitely explore both options. If you come and see us on the med management side, it doesn't necessarily mean that we have to start medications right away. A lot of our patients just want to come in just to sort of establish care and just be like, hey, I have ADHD, what do you think about medications? And we talk about different options, there's stimulants, there are non-stimulant options. We kind of put everything on the table that way. And at the, at the same time, the patient has a choice. And I have some patients who say, you know what, I, I like all the options you gave to me. Let me just think about it. Let me do some therapy. And if I want to, I can come back. And that's kind of what we want we want to always be there for them. So once they've established care, they can always come back. They are seen as a follow-up patient and then they have access to their portal, they have access to the webinars and they have they have access to our schedules. So I would definitely encourage patients to sort of, you know, go into the portal and just and just explore and ask questions. The term
0: rural means different things to different people and it's estimated that anywhere from 14 to 20% of the American population live in rural areas. How has telemedicine specifically helped how those people receive mental health care?
2: I mean that's the beauty of access to care. We are going into places where they're just I mean, I'm in Texas for some places there's more cattle than people. Through telemedicine, we have patients who, you know, don't have a specialist near them at all. But this is their chance to actually see someone to kind of talk about their diagnosis to kind of get treatment. So it's been, um, the reach is just immense.
0: What are some of the things you do or the methods you use when you're working in telemedicine to connect with your patients? Because I imagine it's a different mindset than if they were to be in the office with you.
2: Mm -hmm. It, It is. And I think, you know, a lot of it is just sort of, um, it's been compassionate to them. They are welcoming me into their home. It's very personal to them. The fact that they're having this visit, the fact that they're, you know, letting you see them in their home and in, their, in the middle of their mess or whatever, you know? So um, it's that vulnerability that I would not necessarily see in a brick and mortar setting. And then at follow-ups, for example, if they're on the right medication, they'll be like, remember last time that pile of laundry? We'll look at it now, you know? So we have these little, these little moments we can kind of, you know, celebrate and stuff too. So I think it's just that personal space.
0: I know a lot of people who had been looking at therapy for a really long time. And for whatever reason, whether they were uncomfortable or they didn't know where to start, once the pandemic started and virtual therapy became an option for people and they could schedule appointments and... Have them in places they were comfortable. You know, I know people who had been looking for therapists or who had been looking at the idea of therapy for years. And the second they were able to do it from home, they made the appointments so quickly. And I remember having a conversation with someone who had just made their appointment and they were very, very nervous. And they came to me because I am someone who advocates that everyone should go to therapy. And this person said to me, Do you think it's okay that? I don't turn on my video camera. And it's like, absolutely. Whatever makes you the most comfortable, if your therapist doesn't work with that, they're not the right person for you. But I just, I think that we are seeing a turning point in how we as a society look at mental health and view how we can treat it. And I don't think we would be there right now if the pandemic hadn't happened.
2: Yeah. I agree a hundred percent. I think the pandemic just forced us all to realize what our positives and negatives are as, as people. You had no choice. You couldn't go anywhere, you couldn't do anything, you're just sitting there and you're like, Oh my gosh, I really can't, you know, do the dishes without being distracted ten times. What's going on? And then it was like, Well, now what do I do? I can't go to the doctor's office, I can't find a specialist. So, um, yeah, I totally agree. I think that if it wasn't for the pandemic it wouldn't have opened people's eyes to, well, what else can we do? I think people wanted something different and the pandemic created this opportunity to you know kind of create this telemedicine space. And I think people are really liking it.
0: So what would you say to someone who maybe is on the fence or has been looking into therapy or is curious about it? What is something they could do before their first appointment or before their first consultation, to make them feel a little more at ease, to make them feel like they have a little more control over what might happen in a scenario that they're completely unfamiliar with.
2: Yeah, yeah. If therapy is about, I would recommend sort of writing out what are your wants? How is your day to day? Like, what time do you wake up? what time do you go to bed? What do you do in the daytime? If you're working, what are your working hours? Working from home, working in the office, is it a hybrid model? Do you have kids? How does that factor into your kind of day to day? So I would sort of write down kind of what an average day looks like and then is your goal to kind of be more, you know, streamlined with things so that way home chores don't take five hours. Do you realize maybe you're very impatient to have these like emotional outbursts and it becomes very exhausting. So I would sort of write these down and then bring these points discuss at therapy and say, look, these are my concerns, like this is what's going on, you know, and then kind of have that conversation from that point
0: huge thanks to Dr. Rafia Mohammed for sharing her expertise with me. And once again, thanks to Keith Boswell for sharing the latest on ADHD online's next webinar with Lisa Woodruff of Organize365. Lisa's wrapping up her Learn How to Organize Your Home series by looking at the weight of paper in our lives. And that's happening this Wednesday, June 29th at 3 p.m. Eastern, and you can register at ADHDonline.com. So something very very cool happened that I wanted to share with you. I've mentioned before that building a podcast was always a dream for me, but I never felt like I had the right topic or that I had found the right space. And then I was diagnosed with ADHD. And as I started to realize the effect it's had on my life, I knew I couldn't keep these realizations to myself. And through the most The stars aligning moment of my life, I was introduced to the team at ADHD Online and refocus with Lindsay Gensel was born. During a meeting a couple of weeks ago, someone referenced my audience. It was right before I released episode four, which, if you listened, you know was late. And I was feeling pretty crummy about myself. I was overwhelmed and I was juggling too much. And I wasn't even a month into the podcast and I was already missing deadlines. So, I decided to own it and share that experience in the podcast, and Suzanne, one of the brains behind this project, said something like, your audience will appreciate your honesty. And it was those words, your audience. They carry a lot of weight, a lot of pressure. This audience, the responsibility that comes with it, it's something that I take very seriously. And I love it. I love what we are doing on Refocus with Lindsay Gensel, and if I could release more episodes each week, I would. And I think that's the goal for everyone associated with Refocus with Lindsay Gensel, to grow this podcast so we can be doing more, sharing more, engaging more. And so when I heard this over on episode 13 of Hey Leva, a podcast hosted by Scott Mickish and Nick Gill, I was elated and overjoyed and I'll be honest, kind of uncomfortable. You might be able to relate to the fact that I love being the center of attention, but I also like to control the attention I'm getting. And so this lovely shout out, despite being everything I want to hear and everything I want people to feel and think about this podcast, it made me uncomfortable. And it's going to takes some getting used to. And some people read the reviews they receive on their podcasts, and I feel very lucky that I actually get to play this review for you.
3: I've been really, really into a podcast uh, called Refocused by Lindsay Gensel. She's a journalist from, she actually is in Minnesota, and, and she's been talking about her own experience, her story, and then she's brought in some uh, people to talk about ADHD. Um, they have several different types of backgrounds, mm-hmm. and so they kind of bring more of a like technical kind of piece mm-hmm. to the discussion about ADHD. But I've been really into it, and it's super good. So mm-hmm. if you get a chance to check it out, do so. And mm-hmm. Lindsay Gensel, I feel like, is such a charismatic, lovely person. So mm-hmm. I've been really into that part of that too so yeah i feel like she's like a friend of mine just by listening to it but anyway so yeah sorry that's my digression adhd (laughs) so
1: (laughs) yeah no that's good to give uh especially while we take a little break and a time off to give some recommendations for other podcasts
0: Refocus with Lindsay Gensel is a collaboration between me, Lindsay Gensel, and ADHD Online, a telemedicine healthcare leader offering affordable and accessible ADHD assessments, medication management, and teletherapy. You can find out more by visiting ADHDonline.com. The show's music was created by Lewis Inglis, a songwriter and composer based out of Perth, Australia, who was diagnosed with ADHD in 2020 at the age of 39. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you're listening and make sure to join us next week for another episode of Refocused with Lindsay Gensel. Thank you so much for listening.